welcome to a new episode of Happy Kid Monday. Today we have a guest, her name is Elefteria Egel and she was my professor in business ethics at the International University of Monaco when I studied there. Hi, nice to have you here. Well, hi Kate, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, pleasure. Um, let's dive right in uh, with the first question that is, describe yourself as a person. Uh, do you mean uh, literally or metaphorically? Anything, just describe yourself. Okay, great. So I'll start with the facts. Um, I've tried various things in my life and changed quite a few careers. At the beginning, I started when I was very young. I started as an entrepreneur in my hometown in Greece. I said at that time, I set up a private school for foreign languages. Uh, later, I sold to the business and I moved to private banking and brokerage in Monaco. After uh, I stayed for a few years, but after the 2002 financial crisis, I moved to project management of EU co-financed co projects. And uh, once this finished, I spent a few years at home with my young children, did my PhD, moved to teaching and then to consulting practice, mainly leadership training. And so today the, that we are here, that we talk together, my focus is on female entrepreneurship. I assist women who have an idea and would like to start their business to become entrepreneurs. And I also help women who are already in business to face successfully their challenges and grow. Now, um, if I wanted to describe more who I am, who I really am, I would use uh, uh, one word. Uh, I find this is difficult, but uh, because we're complex as human beings, but I would stick to the word uh, walker, that is someone who walks. My life is in constant movement. I walk when I think, I walk when I talk, I walk when I work. And uh, I use uh, two words before walker in order to describe actually my transition and my progress in life. I use the words tightrope and edge. If you combine, combine tightrope with walker, a tightrope walker is someone who is trying to combine opposites and keep everyone happy. And that is how I spent the first 30 years of my life. The second description is that of an edge walker. I combine the word edge with walker. And an age worker is a change agent. My uh, friend and esteemed scholar, uh, Judy Neal, who wrote uh, the book, uh, People and Organizations That Take Risks, uh, Build Bridges and Break New Ground, uh, defined the age wo uh, worker as someone who builds bridges, works at the boundaries and soft edges, and operates in a visionary way. This is the path I have been following until now. Uh, when I was a tightrope walker, what, what I actually did with my family, with my friends at school and at work, was to be oversensitive about other people's feelings and try not to upset them. Even if there were things I did not like, I didn't want to hurt them by telling them to change their attitude. Um, every time I remember there was a misunderstanding or a quarrel or a disagreement, I would run around and try to quieten all the spirits. And 
believe me, when I was doing that, I, I thought it was the right thing because what was most important is to establish peace. But later, I understood that what I was actually doing was avoiding conflict. And then the outcomes were very negative. First for me, because I didn't establish boundaries and my preferences did not matter to me. So you can imagine how the others felt about my preferences. And I did not allow for a healthy resolution of the conflict. Later in life, after having faced many challenges that obliged me to do serious personal work, I became an edge walker. And for me, an edge walker is the positive aspect of a tightrope walker. The, the, the idea is the same. You still want to create peace and to link people. But the difference is that an edge walker has boundaries and respects other people's boundaries when he tries to build bridges among them. At the work of an edge walker is healthy disagreement, reflection and dialogue. And these are part of, of bridge building. And um, well, if you ask me today, if I hadn't arrived to that point and worked on myself to discover my deeply held beliefs about who I am and how I have been taught to see reality, I don't think I would be able to help women tap into their potential. Yeah, thanks a lot for sharing. Can you, can you be a bit more specific, please? Yes, you see, um, as I said, I, I come from um, a small provincial town in Greece and uh, I was brought up, it was very traditional, I was brought up in a patriarchal society, in a very traditional society, and uh, I was brought up to believe that my role was to be supportive assistant to my husband's work. That is, I had to take care of everything at home and our social circle, friends, uh, families, so that he can work and shine. I used to believe that the work my mother was doing at home and my work later as a wife and a mother was inferior to the work of the men. I used to have this idealized image of what being a woman means, but this image was the one that, that, that was accentuated by the media. Um, for example, I had to be fully satisfied with my role of wife and mother and try to be perfect, never complain, uh, always patient, always supportive. Um, about work, should I work? Yes, but not a career that demands my energy or a career that, that, that uh, I find passionate, but a job that would allow me to contribute to the family budget without occupying too much of my time. After all, my passion had to be um, my family. And <laughs> it's funny because um, in my research as scholar and in my practitioner's work with female entrepreneurs, I discovered that I was not the only one who held these assumptions. You know, we cannot generalize. We also need to take into consideration the national and cultural environment and the time. Uh, my personal experience was 20, 30 years ago eh, in, 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 in my society. Things are much better now. And uh, young, young women uh, your age, for example, are brought up by women like myself who have already realized and transformed these gender blockages. But nevertheless, research on, uh, and this recent research on gender and uh, D&I, diversity and inclusion, has shown that women do not consider their contribution at work as important 
as that of their male counterparts. That is, they think twice to express their opinion, they are afraid they may be criticized if they make a mistake, and they are hesitant to shine, to be in the limelight. Men, on the other hand, and maybe you had the examples from your, from your uh, personal uh, and professional life, if they talk nonsense, they are celebrated for being spontaneous. If, if they shine and leave their team in the background, they are considered to be assertive leaders and not egoists who forget that it is the team that helped them uh, create a project or succeed. And um, I see that, uh, of course, the, the greatest part of research nowadays concentrates on gender equality and empowerment of women so that they, women find their voice and are free to self-realize. But um, I find that this is only one side of the coin. I think that there is another level that underlines the one of gender equality that does not usually attract so much attention. But I find it is primordial to address this level first in order to, to sort the issues of gender equality. And this is the level of belief about what is considered of value in our societies. Um, let's uh, think, uh, for example, uh, for a little, uh, on the qualities that are considered female and which we expect an idealized woman to have. Um, what are they? Um, I would say acceptance, tolerance, self-sacrifice, nurturing, vulnerability, acceptance of others, creation of community, just to give the clear idea. And if we think of the qualities that the idealized masculine is expected to have, what are they? Rationality, instrumentality, individualism, control, assertiveness, skills of advocacy, and domination. And let's think, uh, I hope you remember both sides, uh, the, female, the, the female and, and, and then the masculine qualities. And if we reflect which of these qualities are promoted in the workplace, which are the qualities? Those of the, of the female, of the idealized uh, female or the masculine? The masculine. The masculine. And what skills or trainings are striving to develop? Those of the masculine. masculine, of course, yes. So, as long as we promote uh, the qualities of individuality and rationality, for example, and not those of vulnerability and community building, to me it is clearer than the blue sky that we will not appreciate women or even men who have these qualities. And uh, I have with me some, um, some reports, and I can give you some examples in the workplace to see how deeply ingrained... Yes, uh, yes. so yes, thank you. <laughs> so um, I have a study here. It says that managers are evaluated more favor favorably when their emotional expressions are congruent with both their gender identities and their role identities. Which means what? It means that uh, anger is, is consistent for, for both leaders and men. So male professionals who express anger are perceived more positively than female professionals who express anger. Similarly, cultural expectations contribute to the notion that women should be polite in every situation. A man has the right to be impolite and even rude. 
Another study found out that the male emotional displays are generally more strongly associated with emotional intelligence, sensitivity, and adequate social skills. Whereas in women, they are more often linked to lack of control, if they, that is, if they show that they have emotions, everybody will say that, well, uh, uh, they don't control the se themselves, they are too vulnerable, that they use uh, their emotions to manipulate, and at the end of the day, they are not fit to do their job. There is a very good study, uh, that um, a comprehensive study of the state of women in corporate America, uh, which is conducted every year by McKenzie. And in 2018, there were two th 279 companies that participated in the study and 64,000 employees. One of their findings was that women think differently about top jobs. Specifically compared to men of the same race and ethnicity, women are less likely to aspire to be a top executive. And also women and men who want to be senior leaders see the benefits differently. Women are more interested in being role models than men are, while men are more motivated by the opportunity to impact the success of the company. And research suggests, of course, that visible individual work is recognized and rewarded, whereas equally vital behind the scenes work, that is building a team, avoiding crisis, more work which is more characteristic of women tends to be overlooked. Does it ring a bell with you? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. It's, it concludes everything that I experienced so far. And I mean, I'm sharing a lot of it on, on LinkedIn almost daily. And I get some feedback from men that this is just because women, you know, it's a trend to be a female leader. It's just for click biting. And then I'm so confused because I'm like, no, that's for changing the world. I'm sorry. That's not for click biting. <laughs> the problem is that, that, that all these stereotypes and this mindset is, is so deeply ingrained that even uh, uh, men or women with good intentions they they don't recognize them. Yes, I can understand. It makes it makes l l lots of lots of sense. Huh? But also, I think this is uh, as I said, it is this underlying level that is more responsible for what we see. It's not only uh, the, this this gender differences, but also that it is our society uh, over the years really has been focusing on productivity and individuality. So it has, uh, our society has promoted all these qualities that are more masculine. Men or women may have them, but they are masculine. So um, there is not much place uh, about uh, uh, women or men who work in a, in a relational way and who are more sensitive. So I think this has to be taken into consideration. Uh, whenever we, we're doing an intervention in organizations, because otherwise we will not manage to deroute all this, uh, all, all this, the mindset. A part of it, yes, but not everything. Uh, we have to go much deeper than we now do in uh, training uh, for, on diversity and inclusion organizations. So um, I was thinking as well about how did this whole corona crisis impact your daily life? Um, well, I think it has. Uh, corona has impacted everyone's life one way or the other. Huh? But I read somewhere many years ago a quote uh, that uh, struck me, and I, 
I have kept it as an affirmation in, uh, neck, in, in my office next to my computer. So this quote says that it is not important what you do every day, but if you are alive when you do it. So this is the first item in my checklist. I'm, I'm trying to be present in whatever I'm doing, no matter how ordinary it may be. And I must say this during the Corona times, uh, I, I practiced a lot uh, uh, this quote, uh, and in a sense, it was much easier than before to practice well, because living in, in the Corona times is, is certainly a challenging time, not so much because of the physical restrictions, uh, like uh, not being able to travel, needing to wear a mask, or maybe the extra responsibilities like uh, homeschooling. I've been spending about four hours a day to homeschool my, my youngest daughter, but more because of the anxiety of what may come next. I talk daily with entrepreneurs I work with and I feel their frustration. Some of them, I, myself is in this category also, are afraid of losing their health, their possessions, their clients, their business, as no one really knows what the after COVID-19 era will look like. Um, on, on, on the other hand, and as I said before, for me that uh, I follow this quote, uh, my affirmation every day, this time of seclusion where we think that we're doing nothing, it offers us a wonderful opportunity for personal introspection. Um, in private discussions with friends, uh, colleagues and clients, I see many people reflecting on how much they have been caught up in the everyday struggle for survival, success, and money. And uh, people are starting to feel that this is not what they want, and they want to change their routines and priorities. There is also a lot of reflection on the state of the world. Um, isn't it funny that our seclusion has helped the nature to, deco to, to recover? Okay. We start, uh, humans, I think we're so, sort of st uh, startled, and then we start losing our arrogance and we start understanding that we are not the center of the world. In, in fact, nature does not need us to survive and thrive. We need nature to survive. At another level, what I see, what I, I read stories or I see here in, my small, in the small town where I live in Germany, we see a lot of opening of the heart. That is, neighbors who start getting to know each other, younger people who buy the necessities for older people, uh, discussions that focus on the essential. And what is the essential? The essential is life and being together. Uh, the, the discussions, they do not focus anymore on what kind of car you have or where you're going on holiday this summer. I don't know if you noticed the same thing in, in, in your circle of, of, of friends or colleagues. I mean, nobody can even go on a holiday and nobody cares what car they're driving because nobody's outside anyway. Exactly, exactly. So we're back to the essential. Huh? So the, I think this, these signs show me that humanity is, is at a kind of a breaking point, at a point of transition to a more conscious life choice, lifestyle at the collective level. Yeah, I agree. So if you imagine you could choose your new normal, how would it look like? Well, um, I must say that uh, during the last years I've been very lucky because I work mostly online and I arrange my time as it best suits me. Of course, uh, um, 
On the other hand, I mean, I've been doing too much and I have been involved in too many projects. And then I want to also to learn new things. And this is something that I would like to change. In fact, I, the word that I'm using this last month is declutter. In fact, I have already started decluttering my life. Fewer emails, fewer contacts, shorter lists to do and fewer plans. So this is my first uh, thing that I, want, I would like to establish in my new life and my new normal. And uh, then another habit that I would like to introduce is long walks in the forest. I do walk daily, but I want to take more time, more conscious time to do it and leave my phone at home. In April, I can give you an example. I mean, I think it was the first time I felt that in my life. In April, during the full moon, it was a very beautiful... I don't remember the name of, the, of this full moon. Uh, we went with my family for a walk in the forest at the sunset. And then seeing the sunset and the moon coming up and then experiencing the full moon in all its power, wow, that was something magical. At this moment, uh, it gave all of us, the family, a deeper connection and also a deeper connection with nature than the one we had before. Not like uh, someone or something that we go, we use and we leave, uh, but uh, like a part, uh, like a companion of our lives. And uh, I hope I will remember this, this, this emotion that I'm discussing it with my daughters and say, well, just remember that so that you can respect nature. And whenever you have a problem, you know you have a, a companion. You can go and the, will help you sort out your, your problems. I absolutely agree, but I'm a pretty spiritual person. And everybody who knows me knows that. I mean, I even have healing crystals at home and hold them when I meditate. And it's all connected. Also is the moon. And you're very right that this was magical. So um, considering the time, I skip one question and ask you straight away if you could name three books that changed your life. Right. Yes, yes, of course. Uh -huh. There are many books that have influenced my life. And uh, in fact, this is uh, the only thread that is consistent in my life, apart from walking, is reading. So the three books so I chose for you are the books that formatted me in a different period of my life. So the first one is The Last uh, Temptation of Christ, written by well-known Greek author Nikos Kazadzakis. In this book, Kazadzakis creates a fascinating story that focuses on the human nature of Jesus Christ, not changing the essence of the Bible and the holy books, but following a different approach and other priorities. Um, in this book, Jesus is portrayed as a man who has to decide between a mortal yet joyful life and an eternal life close to his father, God. This painful contrast shapes a hypothetical yet interesting deep analysis of the God-man's psychological situation and identity and is the reason why the Greek church actually excommunicated Nikos Kazantzakis. So why did this book influence me? Because it dealt with a, a dilemma that I have faced for a long period in my life. That is, uh, do I have the right to have a joyful life and still be able to care for the others? Or do I need to suffer in order to grow spiritually? And for me, it is a moral dilemma. Um, 
I don't know, maybe it makes little sense to you and your peers because times have changed and the influence of religion is not as strong as it used to be. But to make it probably clearer for your generation, I think this dilemma is similar to the one that you probably know. Do I need to work hard in order to succeed or can I succeed without working hard? In both cases, there are labels, judgments attached to people. That is, a person who doesn't work hard is considered lazy and a person who seeks joy in life is considered an egoist. But is it so? Then the second, I'll go to the second uh, book. The second book was the, the Clash of Civilizations and the Remaking of the World Order by Samuel Huntington. Uh, Samuel Huntington was uh, is a Harvard professor of political science, and he wrote the book in 1997. And in that, he claims that after the Cold War, conflicts over cultural and religious identity will dominate global politics. His controversial thesis was that the cultural division between Western Christianity and Orthodox Christianity and Islam is the new fault line for conflict. Specifically, he argues that ideas of individualism, liberalism, constitutionalism, human rights, equality, liberty, the rule of law, democracy, free markets, and uh, the separation of church and state often have little resonance outside the West. So when I read the book, I felt that, well, yes, Mr. Huntington presents well, very well substantiated arguments but they are not absolute truths. It's a perspective. Human beings live in societies and we all share the same features, physical, psychological, intellectual, and spiritual, if you like. So, and also concerning individualism and free markets that he is talking, they are not necessarily seen positively by all, even in this part of the world. So my question when I read the book is, why can't we work to develop the qualities that unite us? Why should we concentrate on what divides us? Why do we need to emphasize our differences? Um, if you take a simple example, I mean, I don't know how many couples would, would remain married if they concentrated on what divides them. I think the, the, the rate of the divorce would go up. So that, yeah, <laughs> that book brought me to the idea that, well, you know, uh, I don't like this perspective. It's a perspective. It's not a truth. I don't like this perspective. And I wanted to, to present a more positive perspective that, yes, there is no division. Yes, there are ways that we can work together. So I, I decided to do my PhD thesis on a topic that would give some hope and uh, um, and for my PhD dissertation in management, actually, I transposed a model of secular spirituality into Islam and showed that uh, the elements of the secular uh, model, it's a managerial model, uh, of calling, inner life, self-transcendence, and community sourced in self-transcendence are, are equally, exist equally in Islam. So let's try, let's start our lives from what we have in common, and then let's see how the culture intervenes then and makes the differences. And um, I will not stay more in that because I know we don't have time, but uh, some other time maybe would be interesting if we have the time mm -hmm. to talk about this, um, this model. And then the third um, um, 
book. It is uh, Small is Beautiful, uh, Economics as if People Mattered by E.F. Schumacher, first published in 1973. It is a book on New Age economics. In fact, it is prophetic eh? because it was written only in 1973, but it deals with issues that are, are uh, uh, that have come to the forefront in our days. In this book, uh, Schumacher criticized the over-organized systems as destructive of the human spirit and of the planet alike. He expressed his concern over the rapid depletion of the world's natural resources and the corresponding destruction of the environment, uh, also uh, the need for the humanization of work, or the need for human beings to remain close to, to, to the nurturing land in both fact and spirit, the failure of traditional economics to bring non-economic factors into the calculation of policymakers, uh, something that has been done uh, recently with the with, um, introduction of human well-being uh, uh, as a factor in, 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 uh, in calculation of the GDP, the importance of recapturing a set of convictions about the good life and the good society, in a world, he said, where the pursuit of production, efficiency, and short-run profit are dominant. If we have two minutes, I would like to read you a very short paragraph of the book, because the, this book is also next to me all the time. I find it is very, it is very important, and it reminds me of what uh, that economics and business is there for people and not the opposite. So he writes on page 35, um, wisdom demands a new orientation of science and technology towards the organic, the gentle, the non-violent, the elegant and beautiful. Peace, as has often been said, is indivisible. How then could peace be built on a foundation of reckless science and violent technology? We must look for a revol revolution in technology to give us inventions and machines which reverse the destructive trends now threatening us all. Thanks a lot for reading it out. Unfortunately, we have to close the interview here because otherwise it's going to be too long. Thank you so much for sharing all of these insights into your life, into your being, into your thinking. And I think it's really time to revolutionize the business environment when it comes to women. Well, thank you very much, Kate, for, for, for asking me. I mean, it has been a great pleasure. And of course, uh, we are uh, united in revolutionizing the workplace for women and the place uh, and for giving women the value that they have in life and in the workplace. Thank you.